0: friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. My name is Chris and I'm your host today. And I'm really excited to be interviewing uh, B. Bea, Beatrice Smith, who's written this amazing book called The Search for Home. You'll hear in the podcast that I got recommended this book by uh, a friend of mine and uh, just absolutely love it. It's all about Rwanda and the genocide of 1994. And uh, I really want to talk to uh, Bea about it because it really challenges me that both sides of the genocide were believers in jesus and how does that work how does it work when christians are fighting christians Aren't we meant to look like Jesus? So that's that's really the nuts and bolts of today's podcast episode. Now, in it, you will hear a bell very possibly ringing in the background. We're recording this just over dinner time in our household, and uh, we live in community, and when the bell rings, it means uh, food is ready to be eaten. So it gets rung three times during the recording of the podcast. So if you hear that in the background, that's what that is. It's tea time, and I'm missing dinner. Just a reminder... Because this is going out just before Lent starts, just a couple of days before Lent is kicking off and we are reading the book together, Apprentice to Jesus. Uh, you'll see it on the um, the Making Disciples website and you'll see it on the Facebook page. There is no podcast going out over the month at the uh, time of Lent because we're reading this book together. And I'm doing these webinars Monday nights, 7.45 to 9 o'clock during uh, the Lent season. If you've not signed up yet to be a part of those webinars, I really, really would love to encourage you to join me on a Monday night, 7.45 till 9 o'clock on these webinars. The place to sign up is through SBCK. And there's a link in the show notes to this podcast episode. Click it and sign up to join me. I'd love you to come for all four weeks. It may be that you only can make three of them. That is perfectly fine. They are not being recorded they are going out. It's it's be in the room or not get the material. It's It really is like that. I want you to come and join me, to be live with me. And it's a coaching time. Lots of Q&A, lots of uh, time to ask questions about the material that we're looking at. So do get yourself a copy of the book. Do sign up to be part of those webinars. All the links are in the show notes. Uh, so please do that. Now, here we go. Let's kick straight off as we chat with B about her family's story of the Rwandan genocide. B, welcome to Making Disciples. I am so, so pleased that you are with me this afternoon. Welcome to Making Disciples.
1: Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. I really appreciate the invite.
0: No, it is. So um, just for the listeners to understand a little bit. So I would describe you as a new friend. I'm getting to know you. And uh, through a, a joint conference that we're involved with called Spring Harvest. But a mutual friend of ours said to me earlier, uh, end of last year, you've got to read this book. And she mentioned this to me a couple of times. Uh, the search for home. I bought a copy and it went on my stack of books that need to be read one day. Wow. And then she, this friend said to me, have you read that book yet? And I said, oh, I'm, get, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Well, I had, my oper- I had this operation at end of last year. And uh, I took it with me to the hospital to read, and I ended up devouring the book in two days. Oh,
1: that's really And
0: so the book that you've written, The Search for Home, is a story of your family's life. And it centers around the genocide in Rwanda. It does. Would you just start for us by, for anyone listening who was not around, maybe or was still a kid in the early 90s? Just give us, you know, to say give us a snapshot is unfair, but give us a sense of what the genocide in Rwanda was about.
1: Yes. So it's a really big story, I think, um, that that it's really hard to capture, reading in kind of a a quick... And, and, and I'd encourage anybody to sort of maybe research and look it up and learn a little bit more about it. But essentially, uh, what happened is a very complex story of this tiny country in Central Africa, just below the equator, um, that was pretty peaceful. You know, growing up is paradisical, I'd, I'd you know, um, describe it as. And then for 100 days in the middle of 1994, we experienced this incredible... Um, kind of indescribable violence where, you know, one tribe, the Hutus, uh, well, uh, you know, kind of uh, are killing the Tutsis. Now, the background, I have to kind of caveat that with the background story of this is a lot more complex than, than what I've just described. But for these 100 days, we are plunged into chaos. Now, when we're talking about kind of people being children and not really remember, I was a child myself. I was only 10 years old when this is really happening. So it, it's a scary, scary time. It's an incredibly unsettling moment in our, in our nation's history. And it doesn't make sense. As somebody who was there, I'm talking about this with hindsight now. But at the time, it doesn't make sense what's just happened to this nation that seems so incredibly peaceful. And it just feels like chaos, Um, which I guess a lot of people who have been through anything unsettling or anything kind of warlike would probably identify with. It just feels like chaos. And we don't know what's going on. We just know the family and friends are dying and we don't know what's going on. So I guess that's what happens in 1994.
0: Yeah. And I really loved your story. The, just the honesty and just the story of your family and the courageousness of your family. I just love it. I mean, would you just share with me what was the impact on you as a family emotionally, not just physically? What was the emotional yeah. impact that you experienced in, in uh, the genocide?
1: Yeah, I think the overwhelming emotion there or around that time was that of fear. Uh, just waking up in the morning and not knowing whether you were going to make it through the day. So, um, and n- not knowing for sure. And this isn't something that's kind of abstract in the back of your mind, right? You're seeing, I mean, I describe in the book, seeing neighbors kind of from a distance, you know, people across the street from here. So mobs of, of killers just coming in and wiping them out. So you you know, that, that this fear is, is real, right? So you are, um, you are yeah, it's tangible and it's real. So we're living every single day, wondering what life's going to be like the next day or that day. So I think I remember um, as a child feeling incredibly afraid. I remember the whole uh, family really living under this cloud and climate of fear, um, but also remember kind of feeling incredibly held. If that makes sense just uh, my mom and dad did a really great job of shielding us as 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 children from um kind of that that panic so even though you have this kind of blanket of fear that's that's all over the country the nation i remember in our house feeling like um whatever happened we will be okay and i think that came from this rested assurance from my mom and dad of, of really knowing that whatever the outcome God was with us. And even though they didn't sort of say it, we felt it. We felt really held and really looked after. So we knew that we were safe with mum and dad, but the environment around us was dangerous.
0: I want to talk about where God was in all of it in, in a moment. Yeah. How did it affect your mum and dad? You know, In that context, you know, you are a child in a family where yes. dad's looking after us, mum's looking after us. Um and your dad had obviously, you know, dad had been training to be a priest. So you'd spent quite a lot of time with your dad away from home. Yeah. Training. Now your dad's here. And what was the impact on your, on your mum and dad's emotional health in that? Cause it's long-term trauma that they were going through.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I know a bit of that now, but I think when you're, when you're a child it's hard to really know for sure so i guess i can only speak about it from a distance now i think for them at the, that particular moment they were incredibly afraid um they were um they were heartbroken mm. um because people they loved people they knew my mom's family at daily were being killed everywhere so this is horrendous it's indescribable and i think the for them it is trauma um, on a daily hourly kind of mini by minute basis and um, and I think their their feeling is just kind of, what well, they're trying to survive really so I think in the middle of it they are sort of having to look after their immediate family they're having to ensure that they're being as safe as they can but I think yeah it's it's hard to describe it kind of what they must have been feeling and especially now so trying to imagine it from an ad, as an adult what it must have been like having children of my own now just what it must have felt like to know that you in your immediate family is in danger and that for my dad especially it must have been incredibly difficult and I think he's described to me the sense of um helplessness that he felt which is an alien feeling for someone like him who has always felt to us like a protector and a really really good dad and so for him to feel this sense of helplessness and kind of the resignation that there's nothing you can do that's a horrendous place to be Mm. in
0: yeah I mean when I was reading the book it came across that part in the story where your family are out on the lawn and these intruders were coming and were threatening your family and I just thought you know the effect that must have had on you as kids but also your Mm. mum and dad you know, there are things that you carry as a parent that you don't understand as a child or you don't see it as a child. I just think the long-term effects that must have had on your family, but also the families, you know, yes. we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands yeah. of people here. Um, just trauma, uh, yeah. carrying that trauma and the effects that has on you. Um, yeah, I want to ask the question, where was God in all of that? You know, because mm. the, the, these two tribes claim to be Christian. Yes, and where where is the Lord? So let's back up away from the tribes for a moment. Yes, we're going to talk about that. But where was the Lord in it for you? You've talked a little bit about a sense of that peace of God's presence. Yeah, where yeah. Where was and, the Lord in it?
1: And this is a bit that 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 I struggle to make sense of, kind of from a distance, I guess, of of mm. not being in that moment anymore. But that 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 tangible presence of God, and especially sort of knowing that that you are in real danger okay so you may not make it through the day you start to ask yourselves questions about where am i going what's going to happen where am i if it so happens that we don't make it through this where do we end up right so the question of eternity is right there you're facing it and i think you hear this a lot from people kind of who are um from from the persecuted church talking about uh, lots when they kind of they're faced with death the stuff you say you believe comes alive. So I remember really feeling this kind of nearness of heaven, even as a child, um, and feeling sort of really kind of close to God in the sense that actually I might see you today. Yeah. And there is so two things happen to you in that moment. Either it terrifies you because you have no idea what you're gonna where you're gonna end up, or you have this sense of peace, knowing like everything that I've been taught and told is true and i'm going to get mm-hmm. to find out in a moment so th- i think that that sense of peace isn't be- isn't the absence of danger cuz you're feeling the fear but also it's the sense of jesus is real mm-hmm. and i'm going to find that any moment right so i think there's a bit of that that kind of causes you to sort of rest in knowing that whatever happens you're crossing over you're going to find out and you're going to be with jesus and it's it's weird um, to describe, but actually there was a bit of that in the middle of all the other feelings that you're feeling. Um, there's also a thing of, um, there's also anger in the middle of that, because as soon as you find out that someone you love, someone you cared about has been killed senselessly, there is, there is a questioning of kind of why them, why now? So all of that is because of this tension of knowing That God is with you, but also feeling this kind of indignation of, oh my goodness, I cannot believe we're going to, I cannot believe this is happening. And where are you, God? Where are you in the middle of this? Where is the justice that needs to come right now so that we can see peace? So you're holding these two things in tension all at the same time, but also kind of saying, well, I accept that this is happening also because there's nothing I can do. So it's, re- it's a very complex moment to, to be in, um, and it's really hard to describe. But I think that thing we tell people, that, that in the middle of adversity, that God is with you and he is near. Mm-hmm. I, feel, I always say that, um, that it'd be really hard for me to deny, the, to deny that God is real because I felt it. Yeah. And I touched it. It was so tangible. It was so real. And you can almost feel heaven, right? Because you know that there is a way in which you might not be here anymore, any moment, and you're seeing it. So I think for me, it was kind of like spiritual formation. I learned something about God that I didn't know. And and that has sort of kept me um, connected to God in a way that I cannot explain, even now in my adulthood.
0: I think what you just said there about peace is really profound. very often for us we're praying for peace thinking that somehow something will leave conflict will leave trauma will leave and peace isn't the absence of trauma peace is the presence of Jesus in the midst of trauma and I think that's where so often in the west we are asleep to um I want to stay comfy and I've got a problem here Therefore, if I pray to Jesus, that problem will leave me because what what we think is Jesus wants us to be nice and snug and warm and cozy, when actually the promise of Jesus is his presence in the midst of trauma. And it's interesting for us in, you know, the pandemic has caused real problems in the UK. And I often joke as a child when it, when, it, when we had one snow day, the entire UK would close <laughs> yeah, down.
1: Absolutely,
0: yes. we've, we've hit our first pandemic. We've hit our first wake-up call, and our consumeristic culture is collapsing. And you know, we're we're not as safe as we thought we were. And suddenly, we, we're panicking. We're praying, Jesus, take this away. Actually, yeah. the prayer is, Jesus, be present with me in the midst. Right. And I think that's what we're waking. The church is waking up to. Uh, where is God in the midst of this stuff? Yes. And we've been asleep for far too long. Now, what you went through is far more traumatic and life-changing than what we're going through with the pandemic. But there's something that we are realizing that yeah. you know, if we ever went through what you went through, I'm not sure we as a UK could cope. I'm not thinking we'd be, we, we couldn't be even ready for what you went through. Um, so yeah, we just talked about where was God in that? We talked about peace and then... You talked about anger. Can we just back up on that? I thought what you said yeah. was wonderful. Anger. Where did you ever come to some conclusions about why God would ever allow to happen
1: what happened? Yeah. No. <laughs> In a word, um, and I think actually that's probably the safest place to be. I think we want God to answer um, this question. We want. We want to want to ask the question why God, and we want Him to come up with an answer that satisfies our curiosity or our questioning and I think actually that shows a kind of our limited understanding of of our lives here and and our relationship with God I think some things won't make sense in this lifetime and we need to be okay with that or we need to make peace with that um and so i and, and you see this a little bit in the book of job you know here's this guy who's going through this incredible stuff and he wants to know why you know and he and there's a and and you never really get an answer right and I would say the same for us, I still don't know why. And there's a, there's all kinds of stuff that happens to you when, you know, you're in that situation where you think I'm going to die and, and, and everybody that I love is dying and, you know, there's, there's death all around me and then you survive. And so then you kind of think there's nothing special about me. So I don't understand one, why that happened to the people I loved and two, why I'm still here. And all this guilt and all this, all, all, you know, all this stuff wrapped up in that, and you never really get an answer. And so I think uh, one thing that I, I learned is that God is good. Mm. He is really good in all circumstances. And God is as um, I, I I struggle with the word sovereign because I think we've also misused that word. But also, He knows stuff that I don't know, and I don't need to know everything. But also that some things will make sense when I get to see him and I get to ask. Yeah. So I need for that, for that, for the time being, I need to sit with the pain and the uh, the discomfort and the anger and the questioning and know that the only thing I need to know is that he promised me that he will be with me, mm. whether that is here, now, as I live or that is as I'm going through whatever I'm going through mm-hmm. and that his presence is enough, even if I, even when I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And that is the greatest mystery of faith. And so I don't have an answer and I, and I've stopped asking now. And as I'll say, one thing that I know is that God was with me. God was with us. And I don't understand why it's us and not them. But for now I see it with the fact that he rescued and he rescues and that Part of my story shows that, but also I know that when he doesn't rescue, he's still good.
0: Mm. And I need
1: to hold on to that.
0: Thank you so much. I think there's something honest in that answer that we don't like. I don't like your answer because I want something a little yeah. bit more clean cut, but I think there's something in the honest answer that's important for us, isn't it? That there isn't an answer sometimes. Yeah. Why that happened. And I think this is this leads on quite nicely to the, the key thing I want to just move into really is both these tribes were Christian tribes. Yeah. We're not talking about here Muslims versus Christians or something similar. We're not talking about uh, believers in mm. Jesus against yeah. believers in Jesus. So in, in that, you would say, God, what's going on? Yeah. What, um, so you, What is the question, Chris? I guess the question <laughs> is this. Both sides Christian. Mm. How did that work?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that we are probably getting our heads around, even in our time, is that Christians don't always make the best choices. Even Christians, right? Yeah. Um, we saw that a little bit. We're seeing that a little bit in some some of the stuff that we're seeing internationally in some countries. Yeah. Oh, being a Christian sometimes we think it equates with being. Uh, Christ and actually it means being discipled by Christ uh, even in the midst of our failures and so what do, how do I look at that and thinking about these people being Christians I kind of think we, we are still working out our holiness right we're still becoming like Christ and sometimes we make really really bad choices mm. so these are people who are loved by God, right? Even as they did the most awful things. But these are people who, in a moment or moments, choose to reject what is good. And mm-hmm. we have we have that in all of us. We all have. That. It's so easy for me to then, you know, from where I'm sat in my room right now, to sort of say, "But I'm not like them." Mm-hmm. But in a moment, I think one of the things that 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 you learn by looking into the eyes of your enemy is that you could be them. And so that's unsettling for us, right? Because yeah. when we read the Bible, we look at kind of, because we, we're, so, we're so good at holy, kind of making the, the story of, of God, like Hollywood, you know, good versus evil. We want the bad guys to be the bad guys, and we want the good guys to be the good guys. And so when we read it, we, we're like, we're the good guys. I'm reading it, and I'm like, I'm always, you know, the Israelites and never, you know, the, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. I'm always the, uh, the oppressor, never the oppressor and yet what i've learned is that people humans are capable in just a flash of a moment to be incredibly capable of some really evil stuff it only takes a flame so i think when we live with that kind of tangible understanding of our of our like of how quickly we are to fail we know and we learn how much we need jesus how much more we need jesus mm. for you and me because on only within a moment can we turn and switch. We've seen that with Brexit, for example, in our nation. Yeah. We've seen that a little bit with America and the riots, you know, and the storming, or however you see it. You know, just in a moment, how quickly people can turn against each other. Yeah, And I think that shows our fallibility as human beings. It shows our fragility, and it really shows our need for Jesus. And I think yeah. all of this stuff points to the fact that we really need a saviour.
0: It's about humility, isn't it? 100%. And I think one of the things that I've been reflecting on the danger that we as Christians sometimes become very sure about things yeah. very quick. 100%. And I've got friends who are very, very sure about certain theological issues. And yeah. that sureness can often push them into being obnoxious. Yet when I see Christ, yeah, there's a sureness, but there's a humility mm. in there as well. And yes, yeah, of course, Christ was perfect. So he knew all the answers. But that sense of humility, I don't know all the answers. I'm not Christ. Yeah. therefore, I have to be very careful when my understanding of God, my theology pushes me into being so sure I'm willing to fight for something. yes, and 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 it's it's staying in that place of humility that I could actually be wrong. Yeah, And am I willing to write somebody off? Am I willing to condemn somebody because yeah. I'm right? And I think that's one of the things that we see the Pharisees do yes. very often, you know, stoning of the woman. So sure of themselves they were willing to stone her. Yeah. We have to we have to stay very, very supple and very gentle and humble, don't we? And I think, you know, my reflection, you know, having read the book and having read other um books on, on the genocide in Rwanda. I just think, oh, my gosh, here you have believers on both sides. And the danger when you get to the point when another human being, yeah. um, you are so sure that they're wrong about something, you are willing to take their life, right. challenge them or publicly condemn them. And really, the the answer, I suppose, for us a little bit is is, are we willing to actually be humble and gentle? Uh, and and be able to hold some of those tensions so my question I guess I want to ask is how do we make sure Christian how do we make sure that Christianity is Jesus shaped yes not human shaped
1: yeah how do we do that yeah I think what you've just said is really important Chris in that you know that that idea of humility and that real awareness of our need for Jesus I think what we are in danger of often is by kind of accepting God's grace and Jesus' grace, which is so full in itself, and it is it, it, that we forget that we need it all the time. Mm. So how can we make sure that Christianity is Jesus-shaped by, uh, by being conscious of our need for him? I think we can get to a point where, especially in the West, where we can get comfortable and almost familiar with Jesus, right, where we feel like, We've arrived and it's this thing of, um, you know, I can never be like so-and-so. I can never do X, Y, Z. And I think that uh, there is a reason why Jesus taught us to pray the way we pray. You know, give us today our daily, forgive us our sins. Can you imagine us praying that and meaning it daily? And just being so close to continuously asking him to check our hearts and where we, you know, have either become arrogant or become hard. And it's so easily done. We are so self-assured sometimes, you know, self-assured in our understanding of where we are as people of God, that sometimes we can be so far away from what Jesus wants. And so by continuously asking the question, where are we and how, you know, um, what do we need to still learn? Mm -hmm. And and allowing ourselves to be taught on a daily basis, because I've realized that actually this walk that we're in is a walk that is, um, de- that's a daily walk. Yeah. You know, I, uh, the way I feel today, I need him tomorrow and the day after that, and so on and so forth. And that consciousness of Jesus can get lost in our doing, you know, it can get lost in our activity, it can get lost in our righteousness, um, quote unquote, you know, like in whatever we understand that to mean. And we can become, um, christians that have nothing to do with christ because we've moved so far away from talking to him daily and being uh you know disciple by him daily that we no longer look like him so i think we need to be conscious of our need for him on a daily basis and i think also that tomorrow is not promised so as much as we might get uh, lost in our activities today we only have today um so what does that what does today look like in my walk with jesus what does today look like as we do that in community do we look like jesus now mm. and so these questions kind of like living with them and, and expecting an answer is really very important
0: i think one of the things that i've been reflecting on recently is just around how how we dehumanize others oh, wow. yes and you look at these scriptures who are the ones that dehumanize it's the religious leaders it's those that are so sure of their rightness jesus is in the business of giving back people's humanity yes and what happened in in rwanda could only happen when you get to the point where you dehumanize another being that their life is no longer valued and i think i'm reflecting the implication of that in Rwanda looks like one thing but what's that look like for us in the in England where we've yeah. dehumanized a particular group of people because of a particular issue and therefore we can back up our theology to say they're wrong and we're right and I think there's a lot for us to learn uh from the, the situation Um, and, you know for yeah. you what what you know if I said to you what what is it that we could be learning right now from what happened in 94 yeah. Do you have any sense of what would be helpful for us to be learning?
1: You know, I think, yeah, just to be aware of how quickly that can happen. You know, and so the things we nurture, right? Well, you mentioned a little bit of this before, just this sense of self-righteousness, righteousness, maybe even even kind of lack of humility. I'm so sure of my position mm-hmm. that I know that I could defend it to the death. You know, this... um these ideas and this tiny, you, for those, for, and, and it's so funny because my husband's Jewish, so we talk about this a lot. So when um, you have these like echoes of, when, you, when you've been through something like genocide, when you've been through something like the Holocaust and you've been through something where people were dehumanized, the, these, these are like echoes in your mind or in your, in your ear and you hear it. So the stuff that we entertain you know, the us versus them, the language of the moment, you know, mm. them and us. This is so easily, can so easily descend into something even worse. And so we need to, especially as the body of Christ, be so aware of that. Mm. And we need to work so closely and we need to be uh, all about the mission of reconciliation and building bridges, right? And where we are in this moment, um, we are in danger of, Drawing kind of pol- polarized positions against each other without even realizing that we're taking up these positions. And so, what does the way of Jesus look? What does the way of peace look like? Um, what does reconciliation look like in this moment? Who do we need to be bringing closer that we're pushing away from us? You know, and all of these things are the stuff that we can ask ourselves now. These are questions that we can ask ourselves now because actually, I think we are in our world in this moment in 2021 in danger of being so polarized that it can it takes a a tiny moment to ignite that into something much worse and that's what happened in Rwanda and people don't understand how quickly that can turn ugly so we need to really understand our role as people of God in peacemaking building bridges and and working towards the mission of reconciliation
0: making a fundamental love yes love love love, yes. love 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 yes the point where and we go i may well be wrong about everything <laughs> so i'm just yeah i think that's one of the things that i've been reflecting somebody asked me a little while ago um chris are you a, a, a conservative fundamentalist <laughs> like, what? i don't even know what you're asking i said i actually said to them, i am a fundamentalist yes but my fundamental is grace and love
1: i love that and that's that's oh, where my gosh.
0: fundamentalism lies. Hey B, thank you so much. So the book Search for Home can't more highly recommend this. Absolutely love this that's book. Great. Thank you so much for writing it, and I'm really pleased that our mutual friend uh, encouraged me to read it because uh, it for me was just what I needed to be reading. Uh, So the the listeners of the podcast know that I've lost, you know, as you know, you know, lost 80% of my hearing in my right Mm. ear. And one of the things I'm reflecting on is, does that bother me? Mm. And I'm reading this book of yours uh, and I'm just so grateful for uh, my amazing family, my amazing wife, my amazing church, God's grace in my life. And I, I was reading your book going, I'm just, I'm blessed. Yeah. And the Lord has blessed me. And even if That's I never so get good. hearing back in my right ear, the Lord has blessed me. Praise the Lord. He is good.
1: That's so good.
0: Um, so I, I, for me, thank you so much. It was just the right thing for me to be reading at the right time. So bless you. Thank, no, you. thank well, you. Would you, like you, would you, you mind can. praying for us as we finish this podcast?
1: Not at all. I'd love to. Um... I just want to pray that, that as you listen to this, that you will really feel the tangible presence of God, which I know is so real. So yeah, Jesus, I thank you that there is never a moment that we are on our own, whatever we may be going through, however awful it might feel, however unimaginable our circumstances may be, you promised, and that promise is true, that you will be with us. And so I thank you right now for your presence in the storm, and your promise in this, you know, your presence in the sunshine. So, pray for anybody listening that whatever they're going through, they will know you and they will know you and feel you so close. And that in, will be enough to get them through whatever they're going through. So, I ask you to bless them, be with them, and keep them. Mm. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Oh, Amen.
0: B, thank you so much for your time. No, and thank I
1: really you, Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you, you too.